Good morning, everyone. Friends, on the first Sunday of Lent, uh, the account of Jesus in the desert, the temptation, the 40 days, is always read uh, from the three Gospels. Uh, Luke and Matthew have more detail. Uh, Mark uh, takes a different approach to it. Uh, it's very, very short. But Mark, um, what he's doing, he's, uh, he's making an assumption about the reader, that the reader has full command over the Old Testament. Um, I will not make that assumption with you. Um, so I'm going <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying, you know, that it's, it's different. Um, so I'm going to point out uh, the reason why, because it almost seems as Mark, uh, for Mark, it's very important, uh, but he treats it as if uh, between the baptism of the Lord in the Jordan and Jesus' uh, start of his ministry, it just seems like a blurb that happens, but a very important one. And uh, uh, it gets confusing because uh, Mother Church has in the lectionary the account of Noah. Uh, and I'm going to go a little bit different, but Noah, uh, we get the picture, we understand. You know, there's Noah, there's eight people, there's animals. <laughs> um, you know, we're told only eight people survived that time. Uh, but when we look at that, we get focused on the whole flood thing, and uh, we really should stay focused on the fact that uh, in there, there's a covenant that's established, and that covenant is one of friendship with God and humanity. God says, never again will I allow this. Never again will the water do this, uh, and it begins a new covenant of friendship with humanity. And that should really be the focus, but uh, you know how we are. Oh, oh there's Oh, the flood and the, oh, and all the animals and and Saint Peter, uh, he's reminding us that kind of what he references. He said, you know, at that time that kind of cleanses the earth, uh, the dirt and the stain, everything. And Saint Peter says um, that was a foreshadowing of baptism with water. But for us, it'll be something different and very true. Here's what Mark is assuming you know. The prophet Elijah was driven into the desert, uh, not by the Holy Spirit, but by a queen. The queen that uh, uh, he had, Elijah had overcome her, uh, I, don't, I can't remember, 200, 300 priests of Baal, uh, a pagan god. Uh, they were all destroyed, and the queen was furious. So she ran after him, and he runs to the desert. <laughs> and when he gets there, uh, there's an angel that feeds him. And then the angel sends him on a 40-day journey, and he's journeying to uh, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. I'm not really sure which one, to be honest. Um, uh, and when he gets there, God greets him and prepares him to do something. His ministry is to anoint a new king, and then he has to put forth the next prophet. So that's telling him, I guess I'm dying, because <laughs> I have to put the next prophet in place. Huh? Uh, that Mark makes the assumption when, he's, when you read his, when he tells you Jesus is in the desert and 40 days. That's the image, desert, 40 days. Elijah, desert, 40 days. But he makes another assumption about Moses. Moses is, uh, remember they go into the desert for 40 years. And there uh, God feeds the people uh, for their physicalness, 
with manna. And then when they start complaining, he gives them some other stuff. He gives them, I don't know, what I think the equivalent of a pigeon or something like that to eat. And uh, Moses is preparing. They're in the desert for 40 years. And what is God doing? He's preparing uh, the 12 tribes to become a nation. And they are really failing there in the desert. And that's why they spend so much time there. So you see, this is the imagery that Mark, uh, assuming is you understand and know. So then we move into Jesus. 40 days, angels, beasts. Ah, Jesus is being prepared to do something because Moses was being prepared and the people were being prepared to become a nation. And uh, it would happen, but uh, 40, 40 years. So as we enter into this holy season of Lent, of our 40 days, we do so then in solidarity with all the Old Testament figures and most certainly with each other, but with Jesus Christ. And um, uh, we are told in Mark's gospel that the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. And uh, in that, I'm going to switch the word to wasteland. In that wasteland, the Lord stayed for 40 days among the beasts and is tempted by Satan. So um, now you have a better idea, all right, Jesus is being prepared. So what is the purpose of this retreat at the beginning of Jesus' ministry after his baptism? And how does it impact us? What does it say about us or do for us? The wasteland signifies a place of emptiness or the desert or the dryness and isolation. It is a place devoid of comforts and conveniences and consolations. In the desert's bared, uh, aridness and the barrenness of it, uh, one is forced to confront the full reality of the self. So I joke and say, you know, I can escape you guys, but I can never escape me. Wherever Mark goes, Mark is there. So when, when I go into the desert, there are no distractions. I'm going to have to deal with Mark. <laughs> and all of his problems, right? So, that's what I mean. In that barrenness, in that aridness, is, uh, we have no choice but to deal with ourselves. Um, so, one has to be very collected, and one has to be very focused and alert and to remain active to survive. And uh, in the desert, remember, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. So, in the desert, Jesus wrestles with the limits of his humanity, the, the time in the desert was no piece of cake for him. Um, well, you know, he's the son of God. No, no, yes, he is, yes. But that did not make it easy for him. The desert experience um, recreates, purifies, and renews us. For Jesus, it was a time of preparation for his ministry. My friends, knowing this in the Old Testament, remember, in the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless wasteland. Genesis 1, line 2. In the beginning of his ministry, Jesus enters the wasteland to prepare for his work of recreation. Study the book of the letters of Hebrew. Hebrew has this great, we know this, but Hebrews really puts forth the Son of God, as we know him, Jesus, has been with the Father from the beginning. And he played a very active role in the creation of all things, along with the Holy Spirit. 
And so uh, in the beginning of his ministry, then Jesus enters into the wasteland of his time for his work of recreation, us. For just as the Lord once found his people in the wilderness, a wasteland of howling desert, Deuteronomy 32, 10, so will Jesus find human beings in a wasteland also, but one uh, of anger and sorrow and regret and doubt and wickedness and denials, sin. From his experience in the desert, Jesus goes forth to meet us in that wasteland where he will ultimately, he will ultimately shepherd us. Similarly, the wild beasts signify that which is raging in humanity, idolatry, fickleness, faithlessness. My friends, through Moses, God warned the people who had forgotten him. Deuteronomy 32:24, Maceating hunger, and it went on to say, and the teeth of the wild beasts I will send among them. These are the things that Mark is making assumptions you know to make what he's telling you so much richer, even though it's only like five lines. In the desert, Jesus is one with the will of his Father. There, he is strengthened for his mission to make God known throughout the world, to make God loved throughout the world, to make God his Father worship throughout the world, to make God his Father adored from the heart. No more just lip service and externals, but from the heart. The union of Jesus with his Father tames the chaos of humanity's soul. Recall how Eliphaz urged Job to make an appeal to God. At destruction and want you shall laugh. And they went on to say in that book, and the wild beast shall be at peace with you. You shall approach the grave full of vigor. We in Christianity look back on the Old Testament book of Job and we see the foreshadowing. That would be Job 5.22, if you want to read that. This reality is then fulfilled by Jesus. And for those who will sincerely embrace him as the Son of God, this time for us then in our 40 days becomes one filled with grace and renewal and transfiguration. We are told in Mark's gospel, and the angels minister to him. This, there's just a slight uh, difference, uh, not a little bit of a tension between Luke and Matthew with Mark. Um, my, the way I interpret it is Jesus um, is not alone. Uh, Mark and Matthew, uh, Matthew and Luke kind of, uh, they put the angel at the end. Uh, after, then the angel came. Mark uh, says the beasts were always around him. Uh, for Mark, those are the like nutty beasts, not like uh, Matthew and Luke kind of have an image of the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve fail. But Mark's like, mm, uh, here's one image of it. And then he says, but the angels ministered to him. That did not mean it was easy. It just meant he wasn't alone. And neither are we. Neither are we. God provides us his love. God provides us his grace. 
so that uh, we too, we too can manage our desert time. My friends, um, that way uh, we never feel that we are on our own to deal with this, uh, and then we can turn our lives over. Christians need the experience of the desert to realize how close and attentive the Lord is always. Our world is so loud and so preoccupied and so busy, and I hear so often, I don't know that God is here. He's here. He's here all the time. When we enter into a desert period, I think we really come to to understand and experience His presence unlike any other time. So in those moments of challenge and discord, we know. My friends, our Lord will not allow us to stay in a wasteland. Our stay in the desert can revive our hungering and thirsting for holiness and righteousness. A Christian's time, perhaps, of prolonged emptiness can lead us uh, recharge into that time of unending fulfillment, as Mark put it in the gospel. The stance of Jesus in the uh, desert teaches us, the pilgrim people, the church, that we must abide by the word of God, not presume, presume to challenge our Lord every time with everything, but to cooperate with his grace We must always remember his promises. And we must serve God and adore God alone. There can be no others. Meanwhile, amid, if you will, the temptations, the struggles, and challenges in this world, we should be mindful that God keeps his promises always. Always. He is faithful Along with the test, he will give you a way out so that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. His grace is always available to us. We who experience the reign of God radically and our hearts and minds and bodies rejoice in all things, as St. Paul would say, in all things rejoice. But in this, we are always at the ready to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What do you think? Amen? Friends, the other imagery uh, that uh, happens is um, Moses. Because Jesus is touted as the new Moses. And Moses, um, God, rescues the people from the slavery of the Egyptians. And then he feeds them in their journey and then delivers them eventually into the promised land. But for them, that was Palestine. Jesus. Jesus doesn't rescue us from the Egyptians. He rescues us from the bond and slavery of sin. And then he will deliver us into the promised land, the very kingdom of heaven. But he gives us a foretaste even now while we journey here. And that brings us to what does all this mean to us? Our homeland is heaven. So this place is a desert. 
And we are not left alone. We have God. And just as he fed Elijah, and just as he fed the 12 tribes, he feeds us with the very body and blood and soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, his son, in the Eucharist. And in the same way, he will deliver you to the hand of the Father in heaven. In the way that the Israelites failed when God tested them in the desert. Let us not do that. Jesus is tested in the desert and does not fail, but remains faithful to his Father, proving that he is truly the Son of God. The Israelites, known as the children, failed. You and I in our baptism are children of God. Let us not fail. Let us not fail. Because life and death rests upon it. Amen?